You know, it's a wonderful privilege to be here. My wife is not here. She is at home. Our son, Brandon, who's 15 years old, works on Sunday morning. So she is there to make sure that that is facilitated. And she's also there taking care of our 250-plus chickens. And so if you ever want to know anything about chickens and or Jesus, you just let us know. We'll be able to, uh, not that they're equal, you understand, but we'll be able to tell you a little bit about both of those. The following letter was found in a baking powder can wired to the handle of an old pump that offered the only hope of drinking water on a very long and seldom used trail in Nevada's Armagosa Desert. It said, quote, this pump is all right as of June 1932. I put a new sucker washer into it, and it ought to last five years. But the washer dries out, and the pump has got to be primed. Under the white rock, I buried a bottle of water out of the sun, cork end up. There's enough water in it to prime the pump, but not if you drink some first. Pour about one-fourth and let her soak to wet the leather. Then pour in the rest medium fast and pump like crazy. You'll get water. The well has never run dry. Have faith. And when you get watered up, fill the bottle and put it back like you found it for the next feller. Signed, Desert Pete. P.S. Don't go drinking the water first. Prime the pump with it, and you'll get all you can hold. My goal this morning is for this sermon to be the primer. After this sermon, you will have to pump like crazy. But God will fill you. He will satisfy every one of your heart's desires. Let's pray, shall we? Father, what an honor and a privilege to be here among friends, among family, for the purpose of preaching a message that will inspire us to do more for you. Lord, we ask that you will bless us to this end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, I was quite shocked by what Craig shared with us that if you take all of the money that is donated, I think I heard this correctly, if you take all the money that is donated for missions from all denominations in the United States, we spend twice as much to feed our dogs and cats as we spend to spread the gospel. Sounds to me like some of our animals need to go on a diet. What do you think about that? I'd like you to open your Bibles with me this morning to Mark the 14th chapter. Matthew, Mark, so this is the second gospel in the New Testament, the second of the gospels, Mark the 14th chapter, and we are going to begin reading in verse 12. Now, our goal this morning, during the next 36 minutes and 34 seconds, we are going to find two characteristics that Jesus told disciples to look for when they were going to find a room that would be furnished and prepared with a meal to be eaten. Then we are going to go to Revelation chapter 10, and we are going to find two characteristics for the foundation of God's end-time 
prophetic movement. Then we will step into Revelation chapter 12 and find two characteristics for the end-time prophetic messenger of God's end-time prophetic movement. Then we will step into Revelation 14 and find two characteristics again for God's end-time message for the end of the world. So we're going to jump back through these chapters in Revelation and we're over here in Mark chapter what? 14 and verse 12. We like it when everybody's correct. So if you answer incorrectly, I'll ask another question so you can be correct too. The Bible says this in Mark 14 and verse 12. And the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover, his disciples said unto him, Where wilt thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? And he sendeth forth his disciples, we're now in verse 13, and saith unto them, Go ye into the city, and there shall meet you a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him. Now, we think... Come on, how hard is this going to be? Don't forget, what is the meal that they are going to prepare for Jesus to eat? This is the Passover meal. There are tens of thousands of people in Jerusalem at this point. This city is crowded. And what do you mean, Jesus, a man carrying a pitcher of water? Men don't carry pitchers of water. Now, what they would carry is a satchel of water, but Jesus was very specific. He said, you are looking for a man. This man is doing something very unique. This man is carrying a pitcher of water. When you find that man carrying a pitcher of water, which men don't do, Jesus said, you're looking for that man. He's going to meet you. And when you find that man, you follow that man home. And then what does he say here? Verse 14. And wheresoever he shall go in, say ye to the good man of the house. It's almost as if this man that's carrying the pitcher of water doesn't even know they're following him. That's almost the implication. And wheresoever he shall go in, say ye to the good man of the house. The master saith, where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared there make ready for us. Two characteristics. Jesus said you are looking for a man. And this man is carrying a pitcher of water. When you find that man, follow that man home. My friends, God has given us two characteristics in Revelation 10, two characteristics in Revelation 12, two characteristics in Revelation 14. And when we find God's end time prophetic movement, it would do us well to follow it home. I wonder. I wonder if there are people in your life that are following you and you don't even know it. And yet the supper that is prepared for them when they get home will be one that will surpass every other meal that they have ever eaten. One that will ultimately fulfill every one of their heart's desires. Let's go on this journey together with me. Let's go together. Let's go to Revelation, the 10th chapter. Revelation chapter 10, and we will begin reading somewhere in that chapter. So let's get there together. Revelation, the 10th chapter. 
and we are going to begin reading in verse, let's go to verse 6. Revelation chapter 10 and verse 6. Now here's where you and I are going to find the first of two characteristics for the foundation of God's end-time prophetic movement. So here we are in Revelation chapter 10 and verse 6. It reads, And swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are therein, that therein are, and the earth and the things that therein are, and the sea and the things which are therein, that there should be time no longer. The first characteristic of God's end-time prophetic foundation is that there will be a movement of people that say that there is no longer any more prophetic time available for us to look to in order to verify the validity of Scripture, for us to look to in order for us to put our faith in once it is completed. Dear heart, you and I understand as Seventh-day Adventist Christians that prophetic time came to an abrupt halt in 1844. There is an end time movement that teaches and preaches that there is no more prophetic time. You and I find the foundation for our movement in Revelation chapter 10 and verse 6. There should be time no longer. All of the time prophecies in the Bible that have a bearing on our salvation are fulfilled. You and I are no longer living on time that we can look forward to in the future, such as those during the Dark Ages. They, they were thinking this 1260 years must come to an end at some point. You and I can, are not living during a generation like that. We are living on borrowed time. How do you spend your borrowed time? Characteristic number one, there would be time no longer. Verse 8 of Revelation chapter 10 reads, And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again, and said, Go and take the little book. You and I understand that to be the book of Daniel. Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel, which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it and eat it up. And it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up, and it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. Sweet in the mouth and yet bitter in the belly. The years between 1840 and 1844 were sweet years for the second Advent movement. Jesus Christ was going to come. He was coming. Just imagine with me, if you will, that one of your loved ones dies, loved ones dies just before October 22, 1844. You have no worries because Jesus is coming back. Oh, it was a sweet message. They just couldn't believe it. They were living during the time of the return of Jesus Christ. 
sweet in their mouth, great anticipation. The specific calculations of the end of the 2300-day prophecy brought them to October 22, 1844. Jesus was going to come. They had eaten up the little book of Daniel. They had studied up about the time of the end of the 2300-day prophecy, and they were bitterly disappointed. Then in verse 11, as if, as if the misinterpretation of the event that would take place was not enough, the Word of God says in verse 11, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. This could be interpreted in three different ways. Finally, an understanding of the sanctuary message, the sanctuary not being the earth, yet that being the heavenly sanctuary that was to be cleansed. It could also mean adding the third angel's message to the first two angels' messages. Or it could be a literal fulfillment of God adding the gift of prophecy into his end time movement. Dear heart, you and I have two characteristics here in Revelation chapter 10. In verse 6, it said that there would be time no longer. Prophetic time has been fulfilled. You and I are living on borrowed opportunities. And the second characteristic is that we must prophesy again. This gospel must, as it did in the days of Paul, this gospel must go to the entire world. You and I now have two characteristics that define the foundation for the end time movement of Jesus Christ, the Seventh-day Adventist church. So what we are going to do now is we are going to look for another two characteristics, not just for the foundation of God's end time movement, but for the prophetic messenger of God's end time prophetic movement. And for this, we are going to Revelation chapter 12, and we will begin and end reading in verse 17. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 17. And we're going to draw on some knowledge that God has prepared us for or given to us so that we can answer these questions. So please, if you know these, these, uh, these answers, please say them loud enough for whoever is watching online to know that you are actually in here. See, all they know, you're laughing. Now somebody knows you're there. All you know at home is that, that I'm up here preaching, but you don't know who's out there because there's no camera up here getting you. Thank you for making some noise. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 17. The Bible says, and the dragon, who is the dragon? Satan, Revelation 12, 9 says that very succinctly. And the dragon was wroth with a woman. What is a woman symbolic of in Bible prophecy? A church, you and I know this, Jeremiah 6, 2. Is it 2 Corinthians 11, verse 1 and following? Also describes that for us. So, Satan is wroth. What does that word wroth mean anyway? That's right. It's not something you, you, you name somebody. It means anger, right? Satan is angry with the church. Now, if you belong to any movement, any Christian movement, you want to make sure that you belong to the one that Satan is angry with. Because if you belong to the one that Satan is angry with, people can safely 
follow you away from Him and into the kingdom of God. Here we have this verse telling us that Satan is mad at the church. And then it says, since he can't get to the source of the church, he has to get to the offspring of the church. It says here, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed. And notice the characteristics, which number one, keep the commandments of God. And number two, do what? have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So very distinctly, we have two characteristics in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 17. There is an end-time prophetic movement that teaches that the commandments of God are still valid today. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, Jesus would say, not one jot or tittle will pass from the law until all is fulfilled. While there is heaven... While there is earth, not one jot or tittle will pass from the law. Dear heart of friend of mine, the Satan, Satan is angry with a church that teaches that the commandments of God are valid today. There's a verse in Scripture that tells us if we feel that the, the commandments of God are grievous, that we need to check our own heart. We need to ask God, what's wrong with me? Not God, why do you require this in your commandments? Let's define and allow Scripture to do this for us. Let's go to Revelation 19.10 to find out what is this testimony, sorry, what is this, yes, testimony of Jesus Christ. Revelation, the 19th chapter and the 10th verse. If you've ever gone to any evangelistic meetings, you've probably heard individuals preach on Revelation chapter 19 and verse 10. So those of you at home, please grab your Bibles and let's go to Revelation, the 19th chapter and the 10th verse. And we are going here so that we can understand what is this testimony of Jesus. So the Bible reads like this in Revelation 19 and verse 10. It says, And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of what? Now, dear heart, you and I are going to find in God's end time movement, we are going to find the gift of, of prophecy in God's end time movement. Now, you know, something that that I've wondered about, and, you know, maybe you could chew on this this afternoon, is, you know, it's real easy when the prophet is dead to take what the prophet wrote and to make it say what you wanted it to say. It's very easy. You and I have to be very careful how we use the testimony of Jesus when we want to prove one of our own points of interest. Don't put it to the side, be sure to use it, but be very careful how we manipulate those texts and those references just so our own hobby horse can be uh, uh, put to the front. The Bible says here in Revelation 19.10 that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of of prophecy. Let me ask you a question. Who was it that inspired Moses to author the first five books of the Bible? It was the Holy Spirit. Who was it that inspired David to author many of the Psalms? 
the Holy Spirit. Who was it that authored Ezekiel, that, that inspired Ezekiel to author the book of Ezekiel? My, now, my friends, all of us know the answer to these questions is going to be the Holy Spirit. So get involved today. Give a little back to the speaker this morning. You understand? So who was it that inspired Matthew, Mark, Luke, John? Who was it that inspired these men? It was the Holy Spirit. Who was it that inspired the writings of Ellen G. White? You and I, dear friend, have the foundation for God's end-time prophetic movement in Revelation chapter 10. In Revelation chapter 12 and verse 17, we find the basis for God's end-time prophetic movement to teach that the commandments are valid, and number two, to have the gift of prophecy in their midst. So that leads us now to Revelation chapter 14. So go there with me if you will. We're going to go to Revelation 14. We will begin reading in verse 6. By the way, this evening, we will be looking at Revelation chapter 14, verses 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. Did you know that there were five verses before Revelation 14, 6? They're in there. And we're going to look at those this evening to find out what is the character of the individuals that understand verse 6 through 12? That's where we are going to be this evening. So if there's any one of these things, presentations that you want to miss today, make sure it's this one. Not tonight. Because we're going to be taking a look at the characteristics of those that share the three angels' messages. You and I have spent time this weekend understanding that this book called the Bible is the Word of God. Last night we learned that if we are truly following Jesus, then we will be fishing for men. There's no ifs, no ands, no buts, because Jesus said in Matthew 4.19, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. If we are not following Jesus, then we are not fishing for men. And if we aren't fishing for men, then we aren't following who? Jesus, my friends, you and I are involved in an end-time movement that is designed by God to take His message to the ends of the world. We are not just another denomination. I'm not talking about elitism here. I'm talking about God giving us huge responsibility with the information that we know. Sometimes when I'm out giving Bible studies, I think, Lord, do I really have to share the Sabbath with these people? It's going to rock their world. They're going to have to give up their job. I remember I was in a, a particular place doing an evangelistic meeting, and I, I went in to this, or I would preach this meeting. It was on the issue of adornment, you understand. That, sometimes that gets a little sticky with people, adornment. But, uh, you know, I was talking to one of my nephews quite recently, and uh, he said to me, Uncle Scott, does the Bible really talk about that? I was like, yeah, it does. Well, anyway. So back to my other story, right? So I, I had preached on the topic of the uniform of a Christian. Do you know that when it comes to clothing, the world says take it off and God says put it on? Did you know when it comes to the issue of adornment, the world says put it on and God says 
take it off? If Satan couldn't handle it in his state of perfection in heaven, what makes us think we can handle it here? Interesting. Well, anyway, I talked on this, this topic of, this, of, of adornment, and this lady was coming to our evangelistic meeting, and her name was Mary. And Mary, uh, have any, any of you ever watched the A-Team? I'm going to take you back a little bit. Any of you ever watched the A-Team? Uh, and Mr. T, you know who Mr. T is, right? And he's just like, decked out, right? Well, this lady came to the evangelistic meeting, and she was decked out like Mrs. T. I mean, she was, uh, she was a little Italian lady, and I'll tell you, I don't know how she stood up, because gold's heavy, you understand. I don't know how she was standing up. Her arms weren't stretched out. Her fingers were the right length. I just don't know how she did it. But we preached on this topic of adornment. And the next day this lady came to the evangelistic meeting, guess what? Everything was gone except one little bitty thread-thin necklace that had a cross on it. Well, I sent the Bible worker over to uh, talk to her. You know, that's fun when you're the evangelist and you got Bible workers. You can send them to do the hard stuff, you know. Because they have to learn. They have to learn how to do it. So she goes over there, just a sweet young lady, and I think her name was Elizabeth. And uh, she talks to this lady, and, and then she comes back to me, and she said, Pastor Scott, don't make me go back over there. Please don't make me go back over there. She won't take it off. She won't take it off. I said, she's going to be baptized tomorrow. She said, Pastor Scott, please don't send me back over there. I said, okay, so I'll go. I'll go. And so I went, and my wife and I, uh, drove up in front of this lady's house, and we're sitting in the front seat of the car. And I looked at my wife. I said, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do it at all. And at that moment, God spoke to me, and he said, Scott, this is not your truth. It's mine. Do what I tell you to do, and watch how I work in this lady's life. I was like, okay. Got out of the car. We walked into this lady's house. And she had crosses all over her house. This is, she's going to be baptized tomorrow, you understand. And so we casually start talking about things and just slowly easing our way to the conversation. You know, you've got to be careful when you talk to these people. Because sometimes it's a big issue. We knew it wasn't so big because everything fell off except for one thing. Well, it turns out her son had given her this necklace and uh, we made the suggestion that maybe that necklace could be, she could value her son in taking that necklace and getting this beautiful frame and, and uh, black velvet background and draping that cross and that, that gold chain, you know, just in whatever design she wanted over that black velvet. And then putting that on her wall with all of her other crosses. She's like, oh, that just sounds like a wonderful idea. And would you know, she came to church the next day. I was in a, I was in a sanctuary that is, it was probably just as long as the sanctuary at College Dale Seventh-day Adventist Church. The sanctuary was probably that long. And this lady comes in, and I'm up on the platform, right? And she just comes teeter-tottering in. She comes in along the side. She goes to the middle. It's a long church. She goes to the middle, and she goes to the middle of the, the pew that she's sitting on. And uh, guess what she had on? Guess what she had on? Come on, it's not a hard, it's in a hard quiz. She had the necklace on. And I'm up front, and she's going to get baptized at the end of the service, and I'm the one baptizing her. 
I was like, Lord, you told me to go into that lady's house. You told me to say these things to this lady. And you told me to watch you work. I'm not seeing it. So I'm preaching one message. I was preaching about the city of refuge. This was huge in my ministry. I'm preaching about the city of refuge, and I'm praying a completely different message in my head. During the middle of that service, Mary did this. And she got up, went to the edge, out the back door into the lobby. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? Of course, I'm preaching. City of refuge, city of refuge. You got to come to Jesus. He's a place that protects you, etc., etc. And I'm praying, Lord, what is she doing? She comes back in. Comes up all the way back to where she was. Whispers something to the lady next to her. And the lady next to her gets up. Out into the lobby. When they came back in, guess what was gone? The necklace was gone. And so I'm like, hallelujah, Lord, you worked. So after service, we're at fellowship meal. I said, Mary, tell me, dear sister, what did the Lord say to you during service this morning? You were just getting up, running out, coming back. She's like, Pastor Scott, you have no idea how bad my arthritis is. I tried and tried and tried to get that necklace off, but the clasp was just too small. So I called Elizabeth, and I said, Elizabeth, I'm going to come to church tomorrow for my baptism, and I need help getting this off. Well, I just didn't even think to look for Elizabeth. I just came in, and I sat down, and in the middle of the service, God said, Elizabeth is sitting right next to you, and you haven't taken that off. So I just I, I went out to find her. I came back. Oh, uh, Pastor Scott, God just spoke to me. My friends, it's time for us to be bold about spreading the message that Jesus Christ has given to us. And when you, be, when you are bold, God is going to make huge inroads in people's lives. You are going to see God transform them. These two, two disciples were looking for a man carrying a pitcher of water. Then we are looking for a movement where they preach there's time no longer and you have to prophesy again even though there's no more time. Then we're looking for the, the movement that has a characteristic of teaching that the commandments of God are valid today. Even when it comes to the Sabbath, God expects us to share this Bible truth. We don't take the Bible and beat people senseless upside the head with it. God expects us to use our brains and to be tactful. And then in Revelation chapter 14, after describing the, peop the characteristics of those that share the gospel, it says this in verse 6, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a soft whisper, with a what? I'm not convinced. With a what? Those of you at home, holler at your TV and say loud voice. This is a message that God intends for us to share with everyone we meet. Don't hide it under a rug. Don't pretend you're not a Christian when you are at work. Take your Christianity. Put it on your sleeve so that when people see you, they say, you must be a Christian. And if they say it with, with vehemence, you say, I sure am. How about you? When are you going to join me? 
Let's live for Jesus, my friends. Let's sing for Jesus, young ladies. The Bible says here in verse 7, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment is come. This prophetic message that we find in Revelation chapter 14 has the characteristic that God's people will be preaching that the hour of His judgment has already begun. It goes on to say here, For the hour of His judgment is come, and worship Him that made heaven and earth, the sea and the fountains of waters. Worship the Creator. Do you know in the book of Revelation, this is the longest quote from the Old Testament, and it comes from the Sabbath commandment in Exodus chapter 20. It goes on to say in verse 8, And there followed another angel, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the third angel followed, all of them saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture. Dear heart, just think in your mind for one moment. Go all the way back to Sodom and Gomorrah and you tell me, what does the unmingled wrath of God do to humanity? Destroys it. Unless, unless you are covered with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The Bible goes on to say here, And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast and his image. I wish I had time to unpack that verse. And whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Anybody ever, you know, I usually when I go into places, I say, good morning, saints, or hello, saints, or how are the saints doing? Why? Because the Bible gives us the biblical definition of a saint. And he says right here, here is the patience, the endurance, the, the long-suffering of the saints. Here are they that, number one, Keep the commandments of God. And number two, have the faith of Jesus. Two characteristics. That's all it's about is two characteristics. You're looking for a man carrying a pitcher of water. When you find that man, go home with that man. Follow that man home. That man, the one that is unique among all the thousands in Jerusalem today, that man is going to take you to a room that is furnished and prepared and ready for a dinner. Revelation chapter 10, you and I find two characteristics of God's end-time prophetic movement. Time no longer. Prophesy again. Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, you and I find two characteristics that define for us God's end-time prophetic messenger. Number one, teaches that the commandments are valid and has the testimony of Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 14, you and I find two characteristics. They, have, they keep the commandments of God and they have the faith of Jesus. You know, I believe it's James that says, whatsoever is not of faith is what? Sin, that is not James, that is Romans chapter 14. Whatsoever is not of faith, verse 23, is sin. My friends, you and I can be very, very lawful, lawfully accurate Sabbath keepers and still be lost. 
If we are doing it in order to be saved rather than because of the fact that Jesus has already saved us, don't put the cart before the horse. The caboose cannot push around the engine. Jesus has given us a message that is unequaled by any other denomination. You show me another denomination that finds its roots in Revelation chapter 10, and I'll tell you, they'll be Seventh-day Adventists soon. You show me another movement in Revelation chapter 12 that keeps the commandments of God and has the testimony of Jesus Christ, the spirit of prophecy, and that group will be a Seventh-day Adventist soon enough. You go to Revelation 14, and I have never heard any other denomination preach on the three angels' messages of Revelation 14, which culminates in a group of people that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus Christ. There's a world that is walking in the middle of a desert and they're thirsty. Many of them are dying and pleading with God to give them information on this book called the Bible. How are they going to be found? Who is going to share with them God's end time prophetic message? According to Matthew 28 and Matthew 4, it will be those that have chosen to follow Jesus. The Bible says, turn with me now to Matthew. We've got to go back. Why in the world will we start with two guys looking for a room? I mean, give me a break. You know, there's a guy carrying a pitcher of water and then they're looking for a place to hold dinner? You and I are going to Matthew. Chapter 26, Matthew 26, and verse 29. You, you know and you remember that those two men were looking for a room where they could celebrate the very last Passover that Jesus would experience here on this earth. And at the end of that meal, Jesus makes them a promise. The Bible says in Matthew 26 and verse 29, Let's start in 27. And he, Jesus, took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, Drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, and notice the promise that Jesus makes. How many of you have a favorite juice? Does anybody have a favorite juice? What's your favorite juice? Okay, I can't hear a thing. Grape juice, lemonade, mango, passion fruit, orange. Come on, Florida. Jesus says this in verse 29. Now, now, before we read this, I want you to think for a moment of what it would be like to go without your favorite juice for a year. You could see it but you couldn't drink it. You could smell it, but you couldn't taste it. You could hold it in a cup, but it couldn't touch your lips. Jesus says, and I believe that Jesus' favorite drink is grape juice. It says here, but I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. 
Jesus makes the promise that He is not going to drink any more grape juice until you and I are with Him, not in just a room that is furnished and prepared. Although Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in Me, what did He say there in John 14.1? Mercy is like a, like, like a roaring... Come on, somebody be specific. What does Jesus say in John 14? He says, I go and prepare a place for who? For you. My friends, Jesus is preparing a place for you. He's got a room. It's furnished. It's prepared. He wants to know, will you be in that room? Will you raise your glass with Jesus? Will you be able to watch His Adam's apple go up and come down as He tastes for the first time in thousands of years His favorite juice? Jesus said, follow that man home. When it comes to you and your life, are people able to follow you? to an upper room that is furnished and prepared where they will be satisfied. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.